Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want to start today by talking about the risk-free return. You may have heard this in financial circles, but I'm going to go over it in really simple detail. So when you save money, you have a few different options where you want to keep it, right? You could put it in the bedside table piggy bank, you might have it in a bank account, or you could choose to invest your money by buying shares of a company on the stock market. So let's go back. When you have your money in a savings account, so everyday savings account, you know that money will be safe and will earn a small amount of interest over time. This is what we call the risk-free return. It's called risk-free because there is almost no chance that you will lose your money. Even if the bank goes bankrupt, your money is insured by the government up to certain amounts. And in Australia, it's $250,000 per person per bank, basically. On the other hand, when you invest in shares of a company, you have the potential to earn much more money than you would by just keeping money in a savings account. However, there is also a risk that you could lose some of your money if the company values decreases. So that's called investment risk. So all that to say, the risk-free return is the amount of money that you can earn without taking any investment risk. It's like getting a small reward for simply holding onto your money and not doing anything risky with it. Today's episode is brought to you by Sharesies. Sharesies is our Tuesday show partner. Thank you so much. Now, do you like investing? Do you want a simple investment solution? Well, you can invest with the Sharesies platform with no minimum investment. You can buy shares or a portion of shares on the Sharesies app from just one cent. This is such good news for so many of you that are listening who want to get started with investing. Maybe you've got some debt that you want to pay off and that's your main focus, but you are interested in investing. Well, perhaps download the Sharesies app and just start to put a couple of dollars into that world so you can get the feel for how investing works. Now, if you're really strapped for cash or you're just getting out of debt and you're trying to kill some other goals, you can get $10 added to your account when you sign up to the Sharesies platform using the exclusive promo code MMM. All investing involves risks, T's and C's and fees apply. There's a link in the show notes and the description of this episode to claim your $10 into your account. Thank you, Sharesies, for supporting the podcast today. We're talking about investing. We're talking about money. We're talking about everything that's going on when interest rates are increasing. I'm Glenn James. You're joined by... John Pigeon. And we're having a chat today. Let's get into it. What a start. Well, that was a a mouthful, wasn't it? Well. Yep, yep. But I think it's important to understand, you know, we're having this discussion today about things to be careful of and stuff that we need to pay more attention to in a climate of rising interest rates. Mm. Now, can I tell you a story, Johnson? Always. Now- I'm all ears. you're, You're all two of them. Now, I was in- Newcastle the other day. I live in Newcastle. I'm okay. at John's. <laughs> I'm at John's office at the moment, and there is an a big construction of a big apartment building getting built at the moment. All right, it's been 
under construction for some time. They've basically dug into the ground and they've put a whole heap of beams and stuff and support while they shore up the foundation so all the sand doesn't fall in and all that stuff, right? Yeah. And it's been sitting like that for a couple of weeks, a couple of months even. We heard a rumor from someone that lives nearby that all the contractors hadn't been paid. So they've come after hours and taken all their equipment out and basically walked off the job. Right. And that got me thinking, did the pinch on the interest rates increasing catch the developers a little bit by surprise because a lot of developers use debt to do these big things? Mm -hmm. Did the slowing down of deposits and purchases of this off the plan affect that? All these questions, and this could be a rumor not have happened, you know, they might've just gone, well, we've finished our bit and we're taking our stuff. (laughs) But it just got me thinking like when things are going really good and the economy's pumping along, we don't need to worry as much about stuff no. because it should be right. It's a hot market. And so I'm thinking like, did the developers basically say, look, we've got a, an apartment building. We're going to start building at 50% of sales, secure some bank funding while it's being built. We're going to get some more sales. Mm. You know, did they borrow some money, have things slowed down? So I guess my question to you, John, in terms of a climate where the economy could be slowing down, I want to start with off the plan purchases. Like I think we need to be even more, 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 more cautious in this environment. Absolutely we do. I think just on the off the plan bit and and your example there, a lot of businesses, not just in the real estate industry, but in, in any industry, work on a model of new deposits to fund their existing business as opposed to having a high cash balance to be able to fund their business. And if new business comes in, then that's great. That's just going to add to the cost. Sounds like a legitimate Ponzi scheme. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is, isn't it? Uh, By definition. So when the tide goes out, some of these businesses haven't got any clothes on and things like this happen, all right? So you're right. And and I I listened to the three words that you said at the start, oh. pay more attention. So yeah. we're always paying attention, but it's just more attention, isn't it? So we've got to understand in an off the plan, there's a lot more variables than just a straight transaction, buy the property and, and, and rent it out. And uh, I actually noticed off topic a little bit today, Queensland government have uh, reformed um, or want to make a permanent change to the sunset clause for off the plan developers to, in a, in a rising market, they can't just come and on sell your off the plan apartment. They'll without- kick the can down the road, trigger the sunset, give everyone their money back and then resell. And resell at yeah. a higher price. They can't do that without your written permission as you, the individual owner. So that's... Uh, hopefully getting legislated um, pretty soon. So that's a good step. But, but going back to the paying more attention when there's, uh, when there's rough times, it's, uh, it, it all comes down to what's in our control versus out of our control, isn't it? And, mm. and a developer, and I, we've had a few on the show, mm. on the property show, and, and um, we've invested personally in, in off-the-plan apartments and uh, we've, we've got, thankfully, some, some good results. But we knew that those developers, those builders um, had a really high level of cash in the development and didn't rely on as much bank funding. Um, But a lot of lenders, and this is a good thing about Australian banking, is they won't allow that 
funding to be approved unless there's a certain percentage of sales to take place in the first place. So a lot of these don't actually get off the ground because they don't get enough funding. So in the instance, if the economy has slowed down a little bit because of rising interest rates, a couple of things may have happened. The developer have overcooked what they thought could happen and they've stuffed their own cash flow or the interest rates on their current lending has quadrupled maybe yeah, and they've had to pay more interest, which means no cash flow to pay contractors mm. and there isn't any new sales because things have slowed down. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's a legitimate story that happened or just some nosy neighbor has made up a story, but I just thought it was very interesting to talk about things that we need to pay extra attention to in a market and an economy that might be slowing down. So having said all that, people still need to buy homes. People do still buy homes when interest rates increase. People, you know, want to buy properties off the plan. I think you just have to be a little bit more uh, diligent and ask the questions to the salespeople and hopefully they're not lying to you or if the building has started, get a some type of progress update. If it hasn't started, I would, you know, even the one I bought, you know, it was delayed a year. So if you're buying off the plan, the property hasn't started. Trust me, it's going to be longer than what they say. I've never, ever heard of a scenario where a developer has sold a property off the plan. I'm talking apartment complex or townhouses where it's completed on time. Like I've never seen that. No. May have happened. So I think we just need to be prepared for delays. Mm. We need to make sure that particularly if they are really keen for a sale, can you say, all right, we'll do it, but we're doing 5% now and then the rest of the deposit later on? Yeah. I don't know. Like, Yeah, I think it, it comes back to that uh, developer that didn't do their forecasting in the first place. They weren't cash heavy enough for interest rate rises, um, time lapses, delays, that, which stems through to the end user, which is the contractor, which is not turning up to the job to complete it, and then it's a double whammy to the to the client because of the delays. Now, with the off-the-plan situation, you might put down 5% or 10% as a deposit. The holding costs on that is not going to ruin you. But if the development doesn't go ahead and uh, it, it's liquidated, then that's where you potentially can lose your deposit. So, yeah, I, I suppose paying more attention and asking the right questions is is one, but also understanding uh, your own risk profile mm. because we see these glossy brochures all the time and they're not so glossy when the trades aren't turning up to complete your development. I think it's what's in our control versus what's out of our control that we always talk about. I'm actually interviewing a, I'd say, medium-sized builder uh, on the property show and we're talking about all of this. As a client, what do we look out for in these times because they they know that a lot of building companies have fallen over and we're talking about the high-volume builders versus the local builders, right? And in these sort of times, uh, people feel a lot of comfort in the the local builder because they may know them or they've known someone who's built with them and, and there's a lot of trust there. Yeah, and I think I want to just tie in before we move on to the next topic that I want to talk to you about. Everyone, I talked about the risk-free return at the top of the episode. That risk-free return in a rising interest rate environment is actually getting higher and we'll forget about inflation for 10 seconds, but if 
I can have more return for less risk, I'm going to deploy my money maybe not as um, frivolous, 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 frivolously, <laughs> frivolously, frivolously in other investments. Yes. Okay, so everyone in the back of your mind when we're talking about all this stuff, remember the risk-free return. Mm. I can get a return on my money without taking any risk. So if you think about that, there's more mums and dads sitting on their money at the moment, not prepared to take a risk like that and who does that affect? Well, it affects the big time developers that are working on volume alone and trying to sell 100 of the 180 before they'll get funding in an offer plan development. So that complex doesn't go ahead. And then another one up the road, same thing happens there. And the bigger volume builders like, a I don't know, Metricon or whatever, they're working on 500 a year and they're only getting 100. So what it's actually doing is from a property perspective is it's reducing the supply, but the demand's still there a lot of the time. So we know we're falling behind in return, in respect to building enough dwellings for Australia. Mm. This is actually making it worse. The next thing I want to talk about of things to be careful about in a rising interest rate environment, and we'll keep on the property bandwagon uh, for a moment, is this idea of like property flipping. You know, when interest rates are cheap, people were buying shacks, going to Bunnings, renovating, holding, maybe living in it for a year or so, flipping, moving on to the next one. Mm. Talk to us about maybe some of the dangers and some of the considerations with this property flipping strategy in general to start with yes. and maybe things that we need to be careful and mindful of as markets slow down. Yeah, so we did a an example on this um, with our Train the Trainer program, training up um uh, buyers agents and I showed them a block of land that was purchased uh, two years ago which was pre-COVID and it was probably what you'd say uh, it was a pretty warm market at the time. They purchased at 1.1 this block of land and you could clearly do anywhere from two to three um, townhouses on it. Fast forward to six months ago, that's now on the market as is the block of land, but that's DA approved for those townhouses. The numbers just don't stack up now because interest rates have risen, mm. but also uh, the cost of supplies and cost of trade and cost of building has also increased. There was profit in it when they bought it. There's no longer profit in it now. So that's an example of flipping properties in a short time frame, banking on today's numbers, not forecasting for an interest rate rise of 3% and 30% increase in building materials. Yeah. So, and that's also important again, like we've talked in the past about, you know, buying properties that might be the ugly duckling and it's like, oh, if not, we can just flick it later or whatever. In a cold market or a softening market, it's going to be harder to just flick stuff. Mm. So how do we avoid that is mm. probably what people are thinking about. Well, Number one is we factor in the worst case scenarios and the contingencies to know that, okay, if we needed to move this on, we could because we bought it well in the first place. Yeah. So buying well, number one, but then having those contingencies up our sleeve. On that property flipping thing, I want to talk about as the next thing maybe to really be cautious of, particularly as markets and economies are slowing down. If you are moving homes, not buying your next property until your current one sold. Yes, and I've got a very good friend who's doing that at the minute. Oh, do tell. And he won't mind me talking about this. I won't say his name. Uh, yeah, so essentially went and bought their upgrader 
Was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Nathan. Delete that out, yeah, mate. Beat that out. Uh, so, yeah, late last year, went and secured this property, which is uh, an awesome property and will serve him well for the next 10 years for his family. However, he hadn't sold his existing dwelling yet. So, uh, went and applied for a bridging ro- loan and the numbers involved in that bridge loan meant that if he didn't sell that property in time, the bridging loan was going to cost roughly about 20 grand a month. So that will flush it pretty fast. Well, it does. That's right. And and fortunately, there's there's a little bit of wiggle room for him in his finances, but still, could could we avoid this? Absolutely. We don't put the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. We s- buy that property after we've got actual funds in the bank and we know what our lending capacity is for that next purchase. And like, yeah, three, four years ago, sure, knock yourself out, buy a place, throw yours up, the market's moving, everything's happening, money's cheap, Yeah, it will probably work out. But it's one of those things you don't want to be caught out because it can be months of pain. And what you could do, I, I don't want to go as far as to say I'd never use a bridging loan, but again, what's in our control, what's out of it? Well, if we can put our property on the market and have some offers out and that property has gone unconditional, go for your life because that purchaser is not turning back because they've gone unconditional. They've got to commit to it, otherwise sure. a hefty penalty. So now we can actually go and start to put in offers on that new house. So what are we missing? Maybe two months, like eight weeks maybe or, or 12 weeks in our life, just hold your horses a little bit until there's a bit more certainty. Just to kind of finish the property section, I just want to talk about uh, parental guarantees. Again, mm. flowing on from this uh, discussion about when things are slowing down or interest rates are increasing. A lot of the time, you know, I'll use Dirty Mike, a friend of mine, as an example. I think three years ago, they bought a block of land. They had enough deposit to pay for the block of land. Uh, and then when the construction of the house was going to be built, then they were getting a parental guarantee to guarantee the build and the final product and all that stuff. What happened was year down the track, few delays with the building because nothing ever. Building, it will take double the time and double the cost. <laughs> like it's a broad rule of thumb. Fast forward a year, property value increased. We can settle on the new mortgage without the parental guarantee. Like it just wasn't needed. Or in other instances, if you started with the parental guarantee, things would move on for a couple of years, get your property revalued. Uh, it's increased 15%. Well, there was a 15% guarantee on the parental or the parental's loan and property, release the guarantee. So I just want everyone to be acutely aware and particularly if you are talking to your parents and considering this stuff, when things are slowing down, there can't be unlimited growth. So don't be under the guise when you have a parental guarantee loan that you'll be able to release it in two years, happy days. Hey, you might be able to, but I just want to set some realistic expectations that when things slow down, things slow down. Yeah, and I think what you would do in that situation is worst case scenario, if I'm paying principal and interest, which you need to in a parental guarantee, you would see what the principal repayments have been made over that two-year period or three-year period and see what that LVR is with no growth. And then you might forecast on 2% and then 4% and then work it out that way and be transparent with what well, your parents or your auntie or whoever gave you that guarantee in the first place. Yeah, and just be strategic with the mortgage broker you know, make sure that 
their guarantee is not a full guarantee on the parent's home. It's a partial limited guarantee to that portion. Some of the old school banks and lenders will want to guarantee their whole property, even if they are just guaranteeing an $80,000 stake of equity. Yeah. So just um, chat with your mortgage broker and just get the right strategic advice and just have expectations set that it could be 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose just to, to finish off on this piece, it, it might sound as though we shouldn't even get out of bed. It's that risky at the moment. But oh, I'd like to stay in bed all day. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a situation where I actually see better time now to go and do this sort of stuff because there are, are less variables ar- around. What I mean by that is interest rates have r- already risen 10 or 11 times. They're not going to rise another 10 or 11 times. Oh, you heard it here first, everyone. Like a uh, Nostradamus pigeon yes, over here. Correct. And uh, also the borrowing capacities have reduced. So what we can lend now is a lot less than what it was two years ago. And the other part of it is uh, building costs, building supplies. They've already increased 28 to 30% on average uh, and they've leveled out quite a bit. Interest rates are, uh, well, you can get a fixed rate now with CBA, I checked the other day, for under 6%. So that tells us, Glenn, that generally interest rates aren't going to go above that if they, they're, when they're covering 70% of Australia's banking. Yeah, and I think it, it, that's a good point you make, John. Like if you are on a campaign to buy a property or you are on a campaign to build a property, you probably are looking at worst case scenario numbers. Now. Now. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's real. Like I was talking to someone the other day, uh, we're doing a heap of focus calls where, you know, John does a paid clarity call if you want to talk with him for an hour or so and bounce your strategy off John and get a bit of clarity. Well, we're starting to do uh, a focus session with me. Now, the difference is, one, we record it. Two, to have that focus session, you have to donate at least $200 to a charity of your choice and we'll talk about the charity. And three, we'll just have a look at your situation. You'll fill out a form before. I asked all these details and I was talking with someone the other day and their their mortgage repayment is about to go up $1,500 a month. Mm. That's real money yeah. that you know has made, and this is the trap, everyone, they've set up their life on this fixed rate mortgage of 2%, for example. Yeah. Oh, we'll buy the camper trailer. We've yeah. got free money. We'll yeah. buy this. We'll buy that. So we spend all this money and it's two-edged sword. It's like, number one, awesome. <laughs> You've got a really good interest rate for a couple of years. You're ahead of the curve. But unless you're putting that extra money aside mm. for when the cliff comes, you're living in a false economy. Yes. And it's just, it really is a wild time to be alive it is, because we yeah. actually haven't seen this crap for maybe 20 years. No, well, it, interest rate rise, we're back to where we are in 2008, mm. nine, which is normal rates for me, probably not you because mm. you're still too young for that. Thank you. But uh, yeah, like we're not in America where you can fix 30-year loans at 2%. Mm. Right? <laughs> well, they've increased Nick who hosts the My Millennial Investor podcast. He, he reckons his biggest regret in life was paying off his mortgage a couple of years ago and not just locking it in at 2% for oh, 30 years. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, it's interesting. I was chatting to a, a friend who's out here at the moment from the States and and he's like, well, our, our model is not to pay off our mortgage because we've fixed it at such a low rate. Mm. Like, go yeah. and invest it elsewhere. So anyway, we'll just a bit of a PSA on that. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk about bonds. We're going to talk about maybe some shares, some other leverage stuff in general. And we'll be back right after this. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify in store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Radio, we are back with the community segment of the week and we are actually rounding out the property bit because we asked the community tips for getting a rental. Now, we can't do this part of the show without Sky Wealth. You want an income, you work for your income, but is your income protected? You've got a family, you've got debt, you've got a spouse, you've got kids, have you got life insurance? All this crap doesn't matter when the crap hits the fan. You've got to make sure you've got money there. If you are strapped for cash, there are ways that you know life insurance and some of the income insurance can be funded from your superannuation account temporarily. So go to sky.com.au forward slash MMM and you can have a chat with one of the advisors. They specialize in life insurance. They've held so many of our listeners. Sky.com.au forward slash MMM. Tips for getting a rental. Chris said, have everything ready to go. Forms slash paperwork enough ID photocopied, least three pay slips as proof of income, rental references, copy of a rental ledger that shows all on-time payments, a cover letter if you're desperate. I mean, because I'm a renter now, John, Yes. the online forms are pretty good and a lot of the agencies use the same to apply or something in New South Wales, it's called. So you kind of just set up your profile and you can duplicate it for different things. Yep. Um, but yeah, you just got to be ready. What else you got there? Dog lover, Christy, provide a profile of your dog, include a picture, information on nature and even a heartwarming little story. Dogs are the best people and sometimes people need to be reminded of that. Also, kids are more likely to damage your property. I have one of those also but have never had to provide a profile. Maybe I should in future. What's your view of pets in your rental properties? Uh, I've had them. Yeah, I've, I haven't really got a view. I think it's a case-by-case mm. basis. I also look at the age of my property as well. Mm. Like if I'm buying a 1970s shitter, then... Yeah, knock yourself out. You, Alsatian in it, but yeah, I, I, I'm not too fussed. I had a property and the tenants, because I, I don't mind like pets and animals. They're part of life. I don't actually care. And at the end of the day, there's a bond. And yeah. if you trash the place, guess what? Yeah. Anyway, basically the dog scratched the back of every door <laughs> and every door jam and yeah. when they moved out, guess what? Handyman came in, had to sand it all, yeah. had to repaint it all. 
no sweat off my sack because <laughs> it came out of their bond. <laughs> yes. So I, I think, Santa. and like uh, one of the other properties that I've got, they've got a pet in there and they said, oh, look, can we have a cat? Mm. Like, yeah, I don't care. And the real estate's like, oh no, they've sent videos. The cat is actually toilet trained. <laughs> anyway, I went and um, I did an inspection the other day because I'm just like, <laughs> I, I think for me, and they said it was immaculate when they looked and, you know, I went and my whole thing is the minute I walk through that door, if it smells mm. like a freaking poo shoot, <laughs> there's a problem. But I walked in, it's spotless, the cat sitting in the corner. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It's held, it's strapped down. But uh, Christy's got a point, like mm. whether she's tongue in cheek or serious. I think dogs and, and kids, like everyone can do the wrong thing, whether it's a dog, a kid or cat or giraffe or whatever. Like it's, yeah. yeah. Kira said, make an impression on the real estate agent during the open home. Yes. I mean, absolutely. But we've seen those TikTok videos of 40 people at one place. Yeah. You might want to do it, but you've got to make sure before you leave that property, you've got your to apply application and you've clicked apply. Yeah, it's a tough time, isn't it? Because it, it's really just... It's like a job application. You've just got to impress so much, but you don't want to go too hard. My thing was, if possible, and it's not always possible, have a look at the property as a private inspection. Mm. And I know that's not possible for a lot of places, but there are a lot of probably regional centres and other places and different markets where you can have a private inspection. Number one, if you've booked a private inspection and there's no one else, you've got a good chance. Yeah. Number two, I would ask the agent hey, what does the property owner want out of a tenant? Is it worth me applying? Yeah. Like I don't want to waste yeah. your time. Yeah. And I, I like searching for a property. I teach the 110-1 rule. Like yeah, it's do crap. the same with real estate for mm. rentals. Like you just know the more numbers you put there, the better results you get. What else you got there, Johnson? Janelle Gibson, a good friend of the family. If you're looking, Do you know her? Yes. Oh. Yeah, she went to school with Amy. Oh, cool story. So. Did you find $10 too? <laughs> if you're looking for an apartment in a complex, be proactive. Mm. On-site property managers can register your interest and come to you and others on the list rather than go through the trouble of publicly listing. As per other comments, it's then on you to have everything prepared and ready to go. And Kiani said, I'm a leasing consultant, legit. All you need is to have all your documents ready to go, including a rental ledger and you'll be the best applicant because there is no one else that has everything ready. And that's that human touch, isn't it? Like pretty much when we went to market for the jobs at My Millennial Money, when we were hiring recently, we've just hired three different people. One of them I went to seek, the others I did a recruiter. Yeah. Um, but the all the applications in seek, I did not even look if you didn't have a cover letter. Yeah, right. Like don't care, you don't have the time to write a little bit about you. The ones that I interviewed, I pretty much didn't read their resume, didn't care because the cover letter got me. Yeah, right. I'm like, this person's onto it. So I think it is that you've got to stand out. You've got to put the hard yards in. It's not an easy process. It's tough. It's hard. Yeah. But not standing out in a weird way either. No. No, weird's bad. Yeah. <laughs> Rightio, let's bounce out of this segment, Nate. John, before we move on, you talked about the train the trainer thing. Yes. What are you doing? Uh, so a lot of people will reach out and say, look, how do we get into the industry? What are the steps we take? What do you actually do? Uh, like there's a portion of property coaching and there's some buyer's agent service that we offer. So one is educating 
teaching them how to find their own property. The other is uh, finding the property for them. So we put together a 12-month course that someone can do that that uh, obviously upskills them for their own property journey, but also if they're looking at entering the industry um, to fast track their, their skills in that situation. So um, back-end business planning, all of our tools and resources that we use, we, we pass on to those um, participants and then we coach them through that 12-month period in a, in a group setting, but we also do some one-on-ones with each of them as well. So yeah, expressions of interest at the moment. We can't take everyone on, but we'd like to take a few of you and that will commence July 1. Okay. So we'll put a link in the show notes to that if anyone wants to, yeah, be come or learn more about being a buyer's advocate. Yeah, like we've got people from all walks of life and all parts of the country. We, we, we're not in person as such. We do have one field day that's optional for you to attend here locally on the coast. Um, but yeah, got police officer, got uh, teacher, got actually a financial planner who's in there as well and um, someone in the mines and yeah, there's a few different people. There. Yeah, awesome. All right, Bonds, one thing that you don't want to do in a rising interest rate environment is get hot for bonds. Not now, James. Not James. So I want to just explain a couple of things how bonds work for those who might not be aware. You can get government bonds and corporate bonds, right? I'll give you an example, John. I've got a company, I'm a bank, and I want to borrow some money. So I say to you, John, John, can you give me $20,000 as a bond it's a corporate bond from Glenn James. And for the next 10 or 20 years, I will pay you an interest rate of say 5% every single year, once a year for 20 years. At the end of the 20 years, I'll give you your money back. So that's a corporate bond. A corporation like me has yep. wanted some money and they may pay a little bit higher than the risk-free rate to attract people. So interest rate return? Yes. Yep. So on the risk return spectrum, like cash in the bank might be 4%, a corporate bond might be 5%. So they want to be a little bit higher to attract the money. Yeah. Okay. So the thing is, if for example, at the top of interest rates, and I'm just going to make some numbers up to really illustrate this, a 20-year bond in 2008, a government bond, for example, may have had a rate of, I'll make a number up, 9%. Yeah. So- Every twenty year, oh, sorry, every year for twenty years, if you did twenty thousand dollars, you'd get nine percent a year back from that bond. Now, what happens when the interest rates start to drop? That bond value is worth a lot more because this bond is spitting out nine percent mm. every year. Mm. Where if I had money in a bank account, interest rates fall to seven, interest rates fall to six. So bonds are very uh, valuable when interest rates decrease. So it's it's a locked in amount at the time of inception. Yes. Now, I just did an example. I looked on Google, a 20-year government bond with the Australian government today. Yep. So 3.9% rate. Okay, which is about the same as uh, term deposits. Yeah-ish. But as interest rates increase, if, well, as they do, and the RBA have suggested that they might again – that 4% return, well, of the bond, well, I can just put it in a bank account over here and maybe get 5% Yeah, and it's liquid. Mm. So it's less appealing. So you really don't want to be buying bonds and long-term bonds yeah. in a rising interest rate environment. No. 
So just for everyone's benefit, yep. what if I get to five years and I've secured 10 years or 20 years and I say I want my money back out? Uh, you would probably just sell the bond. No impact, like no, no, no fees. No, because so bonds can be traded basically. So for example, if you purchased a $1,000 bond, that's called the face value of the bond. Now, if it's trading at a premium, so interest rates may decrease, so it means the bond's more premium, you might be able to sell that bond for $1,100, yeah. even though you paid 1000 for it. But the problem is if interest rates are rising and it's not a good return, you might only be able to get $950 yeah. for that bond. Yeah. So that's just a, a couple of things there. Most superannuation portfolios have a bond component. Uh, a lot of the time with bonds, we talk about active and passive investments. Bonds are probably the type of investment if you are buying bonds where you want an active manager because in that bond portfolio, you want them to be possibly buying and selling short-term bonds, not these long-term 30-year ones where uh, an index is going to buy the index which might not be worth as much. So I, I want to move on and, you know, most people don't just buy bonds or whatever from the Australian government website or, you know, do corporate bonds with um, different companies. But that's just a bit of an educational thing about uh, bonds. Radio buying shares, think back to the risk-free return. There could be an instance at the moment as interest rates increase, if, you're, if your mortgage goes to 6%, you may be more comfortable to have your money on an offset account because it's guaranteed 6% return because at 6% interest you're not paying and that return of money not paid is effectively tax-free. Mm -hmm. Where if I had some shares in a company, CBA and the uh, yield might be 6% a year, well, do I need to really have the risk of having that investment? And paying tax. And paying tax on that 6% as an example. So these are the considerations and I know um, we've talked in one of the campfire chats, I think Vince Scully did some modeling in his business and they still basically say over like a 20 year period, either having money against the offset account or investing in like Vanguard diversified high growth fund, it basically ends up the same. Right. But I think with our money, I think it's a psychological play. Yeah. And I think it's uh – the risk profile, the mindset is sleep at night, isn't it? It's like I've got that money accessible right here now versus it's locked up in something, yeah. invested in something. Yeah. yeah, so that's just a consideration and it probably speaks to your money and financial strategy in your yeah. life. So I'm going to draw on the board, John, everyone, and I've said this before on other podcasts, I'm drawing a wavy line, okay? So it's like a sine wave. And the first trough could be interest rates. Uh, the second trough, like the dip, the first dip. Yeah, a downwards trend. Could be um, property price. The next up wave could be your career. The next trough might be, um, uh, what's another? Shares. Well. Super. Yeah, we'll just do equity yep. uh, return. The next one could be inflation, right? Yeah. So as so if this is kind of time going along, all these things, imagine me doing a wave with my hand, 
all those things are happening, which you said at the top, you can't control. Our strategy needs to be a straight line through that. Mm. Does that make sense? So that's your strategy. So your strategy needs to be focused on north and we are doing this mm. regardless if share prices have come off. No, my strategy is I invest every month regardless what the market's doing, what my property prices are doing, what interest rates are doing, what my career is doing, what inflation is doing and what the equity return is doing. What, what would you say to, to people's comments on like dollar cost averaging and things like that? Well, that's just part of the strategy. I, yeah. I mean, okay, sorry, did you want to finish that? No, no, yeah. yeah. So I would say the strategy is investing in shares. Yeah. Okay. So there's two things, S and T, strategy and then tactics. So the strategy is I want to be a long-term investor. Mm -hmm. The tactics is every month I'm going to invest. Yeah. The tactic could be every time I get my tax return, I just invest that. The tactic could be I'm going to put, I've got $500 spare a month. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put 300 in investing outside of super. I'm going to put 200 inside super. The biggest problem is people lead with the tactics and not the strategy. So if you're leading with tactics along here, if this straight line cut through this tactic and my tactic is uh, invest monthly, DCA, if I'm leading with that with my thoughts, oh, interest rates are increasing. Oh, I'm scared. Oh, property prices are moving. Oh, I'm scared. Oh, my career is shaky. I'm scared. Equity prices moving. I'm scared. I might stop investing this month. Yeah. So you've got to focus on the strategy and your strategy has to be above everything that you can't control. Totally. Totally agree with that as a foundational um, purposeful plan for 10, 20, 30 years. What part of that then says, well, okay, because interest rates are rising, Mm. uh, we might buy bonds. What part of that says, okay, property's going down, we might just buy a little bit extra now because we've seen a dip in the market in a location where we want to buy for the long term? I think the strategy is still uh, we invest in the, for the long term mm-hmm. and a tactic is, well, what do we want our portfolio to be? Yeah. Do we want it to be shares? Do we want it to be um, our super B, 90% growth, 10% defensive? Yeah. So I really think the, the type of investment is more about the tactic. But let's move on to the next point. And it really does speak to this. In a rising interest rate environment and when things are getting tight, you can't be running on the line and have no margin of error. Mm. Dangerous. Yeah, because if things slow down, you don't want to have to sell your shares. You need that emergency fund. This is basic stuff that you should have as best practice in your life. But in this instance, you have to be acutely aware that we can't be running on the line because what it might be is, hey, we've got this strategy. We always invest every month. And as you're reviewing your budget, oh, mortgage rate increased. Okay, well, I've got to make a decision. The money has to come from somewhere. Mm. Do I want to stop my gym membership? Do I want to stop Netflix? Or am I comfortable to take $60 a week out of my investment account and put to the mortgage. Yeah, because the common approach is to stop all investing, isn't it's, it? Just it's bunker all down. or nothing, yeah. Yeah. And this really leads into, you know, those discussions where it's like, well, when I'm 60 years old, I want a portfolio that's defensive. Well, I can tell you when you're 60 years old, you've probably got another 25 years to live mm. and need money for. Yeah. So you need to understand 
that all these things in the sine wave do happen, but because we know our strategy. Yes. We know that this money is going to work and is producing return. Yeah. I get, I get so many people come to me and say, well, what is a strategy? <laughs> like this this word strategy gets bandied around everywhere. Mm. What is a strategy? And I'll, I'm saying to them, look, you're going to have a long-term strategy over 20 years. You, you're going to s- what is the end result for you in 20 or 30 years? But you've also got individual strategies at time. You've got a property strategy that says, this is what I'm going to buy this time around, but it's in line with your long-term strategy, isn't it? Totally, totally. So it just goes to speak, living on the line will cause you to do things out of fear. And we don't want to make any decisions out of fear. False evidence appearing real. Exactly. And finally, my point today, um, or my final point today regarding uh, things to watch out for in a rising interest rate world in concert with thinking about the risk-free return is leverage in general. I mean, the NAB Equity Builder is a product that you can borrow. I think you've got to borrow a minimum of 20 grand to invest in shares. I mean, the interest rate for that at the moment, I haven't looked everyone, but it's probably 8 to 9%. Now, are you getting a year-on-year return of 8 to 9% from equities? Not sure. Mm. It's not that no. flash. You, well, you've, you're 1,800 you in the in drink the, before be you hole. start. Yeah, so you just have to be acutely aware of leverage. And, you know, even with your property purchasing, can you slow down and wait a little bit? I yeah. don't know. Well, in defense of a poor old property that hasn't got a say right now mm. because you've attacked it, mm. Uh, what you can do is up the cash flow yes, and and go with a slightly different strategy and say, well, okay, I was aiming for a 4% in low interest rate times. Now I've got to aim for five and, yeah. and keep, just don't be blindfolded into just looking for capital growth or buying in a location. So would that mean, I'll make an example up, you've got a bigger house that you own one weekend a month, you Airbnb a room? Yes. Yeah, Okay. Mm. Right. Well, there you go, everyone. Well, we might leave it there. It's been a chat and a half. Slow down, everyone. It's all good. It's harder to recover from mistakes when we're not in an economy of growth. We'll learn a lot from this, won't we? Mm. We really will. My name's Glenn James. This guy is... John Pigeon. And he hosts the podcast... My Millennial Daily. (laughs) And Property. (laughs) My Millennial Property. Yeah, if you are new to the show, we've got a podcast on Spotify called My Millennial Daily and John, myself and Shell Johnson. We uh, we do, you know, five to eight minutes every day. It's on Spotify only. No cost to listen to. No. It's a bit of fun, that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm. Excluding Saturday and Sundays. Yes. All right, friends. See you next week. Bye. Bye. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.